You're listening. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening to Music Biz 101 and more. Oh, here we are, Music Biz 101 and more. Brave New Radio 88.7 WPSC, the number one college radio station in all of the Americas, mainly the United States of America. It's the best America of all of them. I'm your professor, David Kirkthope, along with your professor, Dr. Esteban. That is who he is. That is who I am. That is what we do. We are at Music Biz 101 and more. Go to musicbiz101wp.com, follow us on our newsletter, follow us at uh, Instagram, Twitter, the Facebook, at musicbiz101wp. This is a podcast on iTunes and SoundCloud, musicbiz101 and more, or of course you are listening to us right now. This is not live, this is recorded. We are live, this is being recorded as we are live, but it is something pre-recorded, that's what it would be, Joe. Pre-recorded, I said Joe, Joe Pomerico, he's our student, he's making it happen, Joe Pomerico. Getting the MBA, Masters of Business Administration here at University of William Patterson. They should change it to University of William Patterson, shouldn't they, Dr. Stavon? No. <laughs> they won't do that. That's a terrible idea. No, that's a, hey, by the way, you also heard Don Nottingham. Don Nottingham, who is our guest today, who is a yeah. lawyer, attorney, formerly of Straight No Chaser. Yeah, big Thank news, you. right? Yeah, big no, news. It's good to be here. Um, this uh, will be aired sometime in June. Cool. So that's good. So uh, Don Nottingham here. Uh, we could get deep into Don Nottingham, not literally, but we're actually going yes. to speak into his brain yes. and get that kind of stuff. But we want you to uh, know that we are here and giving thanks to the people of the Music Business Association here in Nashville for letting us record here and have our own room mm-hmm. here. It's great. We have uh, Marconi and I had cots here in this room yes. and um, <laughs> a little Bunsen burner so we could eat and uh, some water from a thermos. And it was a really little battery powered light. Yes. So uh, so when it knows. was so at night, uh, you always told me bedtime stories. Really appreciated that. Yes. Just, you guys missed out when Alice Cooper was here. You should have seen the spread, you know, backstage. It's, you should have set up your right. cots back there. Oh really? Was, oh, that uh, would have been really nice. Was, and you sang with him. It really, it really was. Not, it really was not uh, yeah. not anything special. And Alice that Cooper was, was pretty uh, cool. But yeah. Monday night. Monday night. Yeah, industry yeah. jam. Right. I was right. No, you sang with Felix Cavalier. You didn't I did. Sing yeah, Cooper. and Mark Sign. It was really right. cool. It was yeah. really, really fun. But Felix was there, too. Felix was there. He crushed it. Tonight. Yeah. That's great. So right. thank you, Music Biz Association, for giving Don Nottingham. So was that a highlight for you? Of the week? Absolutely. Or how about of your career? Uh, I mean, it's on, it's on the list. I've got to do list. some cool stuff. Yeah. So, okay. you know, I've met some cool people. All right. It's, uh, so far, this is this interview back. highlight of your career so far. No, we, we haven't earned that yet. But by the end, I'm certain. 23 minutes in, you're gonna have this moment where you're gonna go, "Oh my God!" I <laughs> the, hope it the never light ends. from the heavens will yes, open up, will. and I'll be right. like, "This is it. Yeah, this is yeah. it." Exactly. He's gonna want to be us. <laughs> We're gonna switch switch places. It'll be like a. Uh, uh, what was uh, what was the Jamie Lee Curtis and uh, Freaky Friday? Freaky, Freaky Friday. Friday. Oh, yeah. You're on a Thursday. Friday. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Where you and I are going to suddenly switch, switch places. Right. It won't switch be very bodies. different. Yeah. 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 You'll get to take a plane back to Jersey. That'll be the highlight yeah. of that movie. On your night. Yeah, but yeah. My flight was to LaGuardia. It's totally different. So. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Poor Don Nottingham. Thanks to the folks at Van Dyne Bruno Inc. and White Hat Management. With artists like Charlie Puth, Dave Matthews, Kiss, there's only one place to go for your band's business management. Go to VB, VB-CPA.com when it's best for you. Thanks to Rob Fusari. He is our friend. He's a songwriter. He wrote Bootalicious. He wrote Paparazzi with Lady Gaga. Um, he helped, he and uh, Aaron Van Dynamite from Van Dyne Bruno helped uh, provide students who are here so they could stay here That's at hotels. Great. They gave us uh, some donations and backed us up for this. So uh, we're gonna hear at the end of this, Don't Let Love Down by Rob Fusari. Uh, so we want to thank him for that. And also, Don, for appearing on our show, you get a copy of Managing Your Band 6th Edition, which is coming out in June and available at Amazon. Yep. And uh, Dr. Esteban wrote this book. And so did he. And I, I helped him a little bit. It's a Dr. Esteban Marconi uh, production. Highmark's uh, Publishing, it's called? Correct. Yes, distributed by Hal Leonard. Correct. I, I said in an interview earlier in this, uh, not today, but yesterday, um, that he was our publisher. And I corrected. Right, and Hal Leonard, by the way, is not a he, it's a, it's a company. Yes, it is. That's right. There so, was one, though. I was gonna say, there had to be one there, at there some point. There was right? a guy named Hal. It's probably, his name is probably Harold. Harold Leonardo, probably <laughs> Italian. Right, <laughs> yes, there we go. Don, Don, so with the Don nodding uh, hamburger, here we go. That, that's, that's not good. I, I had another uh, Don Nottingham radio. Don, I had another good uh, one earlier that I can't remember right now for the ham part. Sure. Okay, if it comes Joe, up later, we'll uh, take we'll it away, it. Joe. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Whoops, Joe. Joe Pomerico here. Why don't you give us the what? The what's for? Uh, well, Don. Uh, first, I'd like to say 
it's really it was really cool watching you sing the other night with Felix. I actually know him a little bit and have worked with him through the Rascals for some other things, so it was, it was really awesome to see that. And uh, what was that like first? I know we just talked about it, but what were some of the other uh, artists that you played with maybe throughout your touring career that are inspirations to you? Uh, I mean, starting out on Monday night, the industry jam that we had, honestly, was really, really fun. Uh, I didn't want to tell Felix Cavalier this because I'm not a young person anymore and this would just make him feel old probably, but I think he might have been at the first concert I ever saw. You know, it's kind of, it's a little hazy, oh, wow. but like the cool concert for Cool 105 in Denver, Colorado, where they have like, you know, the Turtles and like Paul Revere and the Raiders and kind of all, you know, all this different like bunch of, of groups. And I saw yeah. Felix there twice, uh, like at Fiddler's Green back in, back in Denver. So it was really cool. I also liked, so I've been a singer in an acapella group for the last six, seven years. Um, I'm a moderately decent singer, but I like that Felix kind of tested Mike and me when we got oh, yeah. there. He like sort of got on the keyboard and he's like, you know, I've been out screaming the last two nights, so I probably shouldn't sing anything, but he was like, all right, so it's like, but ding, 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 I've been lonely too long. And then he was like listening to Mike and me and kind of giving us the eye. And we did that for like 45 seconds. And he was like, okay, you guys are good. We're gonna be good. It's gonna be fine, you know? So I was like, yes. <laughs> we passed the test with Felix Cavalieri. It's yeah, pretty cool. We, we've gotten to meet some cool people in Straight No Chaser. We had an album come out that had, uh, like, some people you've probably heard of, like Jason Mraz, Stevie mm-hmm. Wonder. There's a holiday edition that had Paul McCartney on it, um, Dolly wow. Parton. Wow. Uh, we didn't meet all these people. Um, I didn't meet Paul McCartney. It made me really sad. Um, what, did he record his track and then it was just sent exactly, to the Exactly. Producer. We kind of put it all together remotely. Um, uh, Sarah Bareilles. It was a lot. It was a lot of neat people. That would, some some that we met. Some we, I mean, Phil Collins did a song, and I don't. He wasn't leaving Switzerland or wherever he lives now at the time. You know, mm-hmm. he's sort of like in his fortress in the mountains. Um, so we didn't meet him, but no, it was fun. So we got to kind of hang out with some of those guys, um, which of course guys like Stevie Wonder and Paul McCartney. It's they've inspired musicians, my understanding. Uh, a few of them. Steve, I don't know this Stevie Wonder. It's a uh, person. It, it, well, he's little Stevie Wonder. He's nine years old. He plays the oh, harmonica. Okay. Um, he's really oh, he something. Oh, did that song Fingertips. He's Fingertips. That's, that's a that's big hit right now. Wow. That's a They Might Be Giant Part song. One, right. You're totally confused. <laughs> um, <laughs> but we also got to work with a, a Nashville guy named Mark Kibble. Uh, if you uh, are in the like vocal world at all, he started a band like almost 30 years ago now called Take Six. More than 30 years oh, ago now Take called Six. Take Six. Mm-hmm. And yeah. just like a mind-blowing sort of genius that he produced an album of ours and you know we worked really closely with him that was kind of one of those um, actually I was talking to to Dave Dieterer who also played in the industry jam on Monday who was the guitarist from presidents of the United States of America um, so you know like I, they win Grammys they were at least nominated for Grammys like multi-platinum anyway he he was like standing behind me as I was seeing singing with Felix really cool guy but he was telling me about it in Colorado when he saw take six you wouldn't think presidents of the United States of America guitarist would be a big you know gospel jazz fan but that's how good take six is so um he saw them early on so we had a fun conversation about that but certainly mark kibble is kind of an amazing guy to uh to work with and really make you feel bad about yourself as a musician because he's so much better than you are (laughs) (laughs) so yeah you know we've we've definitely gotten to be around do some do some cool shows do some fun stuff how did you get into uh straight note chaser yeah this is because actually because you were a lawyer and, I, and you were a singer at in, uh, originally Indiana State? Indiana University. Indiana Come University. On, man. Go Hoosiers. Um, right. Well, didn't you have a mathematics I degree? I went to IU. I got a, yeah, it's a, I like to say it's a really common story that I got my math degree. I became a deputy district attorney, and then I, I quit that to become a professional a cappella singer, as so many <laughs> what have. Your, what was your undergraduate? <laughs> my undergrad was math. Oh, so wow. the way, the, way yeah. the story works, for people who don't know about Straight No Chaser, uh, we were kind of like your standard college a cappella group. Mm-hmm. Um, there wasn't one at Indiana, like one of these big, like it was a 10-man group when I was in it um, that started. So it didn't start until 1996. In 1998, we had a concert. That video went up on, we graduated, got real jobs, most mm-hmm. of us. Uh, I went to law school, had a real job. But in the kind of infancy of YouTube, in 2006, a guy put a clip of ours up of the 12 Days of Christmas. It was like that number six most viewed clip that year or something with right. a staggering seven million views, which is just so funny now. Cause you know, all the top clips have billion. billions, they billions, have right. billions. But relative to 06, it was huge. Was and so yeah. we got signed a record deal. Craig Kalman, uh, 
based on this YouTube clip, signed us to a record deal in 2008. At Atlantic. At Atlantic, yes, thank wow. you. Um, and, you know, we started, guys, and I actually didn't rejoin the group then. Guys were making albums on the weekend, doing like three-week tours for 200 people. And I just really lucked into a guy left in 2010. They called me up as a guy who had been in Straight No Tracer in college and said, you know, here's kind of what we have planned. I already had kids at that point, so it was sort of a, I can't leave my steady job and mm -hmm. join a band and like ride around in a van and, you know, like mm -hmm. eat ramen. Like I have to be able to feed my kids. And at that point we could. So that's when I rejoined Straight No Chaser and, mm -hmm. you know, I've gotten to go, go lots of places. And then I quit like two weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> How long were you in it? Uh, so Straight. September of 07 until, wow. uh, excuse me, September of 10 until just now. So okay, a little over, years. it was seven fall tours basically wow. is how I look at it. So when you joined the band, is the band Straight No Chaser, is it like Straight No Chaser LLC and it's owned by each question. member of the band? So when you were in the band, were you an equal partner with the other, there were 10 people in it at the time? There's, there's 10, now there's nine. Now like, there's nine. I, liked, I told the guys, <laughs> I'm, giving, I'm giving you all a raise <laughs> by, by quitting. <laughs> hey, so, you know, there's a lot of discussion. So I came into the band in 10 and a guy had just left and they brought me in. So they went from 10 to 10 and then in 12. But um, did you, I'm sorry, did you sign a contract with the band then? Uh, we who, did. In, in, and then actually as the attorney, we kind of, the business formation, uh, we changed from being an LLC uh, in 2000, which is what it was in 2010, kind of that situation before I got there. And then in 12, we turned into an S Corp. And then a few, a couple years after that, we turned into two different S Corps that were owned by the 10 of us. So, you right. know, those closely held corporation, but um, S Corp had some better tax benefits right, basically. Yeah. Um, than, than the LLC did in our particular situation. And then we ended up, like I said, turning into two different S-Corps to kind of manage different segments of the band and then still doing business as the touring entity, straight no chaser. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so that's kind of how the business breaks down. So, so going back, so you joined and you're an equal member. So 100%, yes. you each get 10% of- there was, a, there, was a, there was a portion of time uh, that I was not, about mm -hmm. three, four months, the first fall tour. Right. Um, and then that was the kind of the plan all along was that it would be these three, four months, you'll make this much money and then starting the next year, you know. Right. And did they have management at the time or were they sort of self-managed they, they had a guy? Yeah, Craig, uh, Craig sort of turned him on to management and to uh, an agent. We had a guy named David Britz who's been with Straight No Chaser from the beginning. He's a great manager. Um, He's in charge of Works Entertainment now is the name of his company. Mm -hmm. uh, they Originally, we were with Stiletto Entertainment, which did us and Barry Manilow, and then a bunch of cruise ship stuff, basically. Uh -huh. hmm. um, and then we left with, with Brits and when he started his new company. And then Andrea Johnson had been our agent from the beginning. She worked at the agency group, and now she is at ICM Partners. Mm -hmm. So she moved over, and we stayed with her. So we were, you know, like I said, when I got into the band, it was it, things were pretty well set up, really. Mm -hmm. There wasn't a lot of sort of hustling for, a, for an agent or, you know, for representation, things like that. And as a lawyer, did you become the band's attorney, or that was just something else? No, I mean, the background or? I didn't have to bail guys out of jail or anything like that that often. Um, <laughs> And, you know, agency group has an attorney and, and works has an attorney, but there were certainly things on behalf of the band that, like I said, I rewrote our corporate agreements. We renegotiated our deal with Atlantic. There were things that as, as an attorney, um, that, that certainly became my responsibility. I mean, there also was, we had shows get canceled because of um, not Sandy, Irene, Hurricane Irene, we were, and, you know, I got in a big fight with the agency group's attorney and I lost about what we should do with regard to those canceled shows because they should have paid us for the shows based on the contract. I'm not saying that's necessarily what should have happened, but as an attorney from a, 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 the, a principal God, is, yeah. it is an act of God, it's a force majeure clause, right? Yeah, you know, yeah. so they had to cancel the shows because they evacuated Atlantic City. <laughs> well, you know what the contract said? If you have to cancel the shows because of an act of God, you still have to pay the band. Really? Yeah, that's what it said. It wasn't wow. complicated and the agency group, you know, attorney said like, it's just not really worth fighting over. And I'm like, it's not a fight. Right. And I get it. You don't want to ruin relationships. Yeah. But why are we paying attorneys to write contracts that are yeah. then going to be ignored? And not enforced. Right? Yeah, yeah, like this is why we have contracts. So when we have questions later, if you want to throw the contract out and just do things ad hoc, keep your relationship good and you trust people to do that, great. We mm -hmm. didn't have a written contract with our management group. Mm -hmm. um, 
it was great. Everything always worked out great. We always had a great relationship with them. But don't write a contract and ignore it. That's stupid. Right. <laughs> so that was the fight I got in. So and lost, like I said. And then you're wasting money uh, with the time that the lawyers spent writing right. the contract in the first place. That's that's what yeah, I mean. You know, it's like, yeah. and it's yeah. why would you write a contract that apparently neither side reads? So mm -hmm. it made, like I said, as a, as a an attorney with principles, it made me very upset. <laughs> yes, a lot of. A lot of pounding the table. That's what <laughs> the entire outcome of it was. <laughs> so you were the only one really in the band with the knowledge of law to bring that to the attention of them, or did they like look to you when they brought you in for that stuff? I mean, you know, I, to a certain degree, I think maybe they, they crossed their minds that I was a, a educated person. There are two guys in the band now that have MBAs, so mm -hmm. they're also educated people. You know, we don't have a business manager. We have guys in the band take care of all that oh. stuff. There are ten of us. That's a lot of. That's yeah, a lot of mouths to feed, correct. so you don't yeah. want to pay 5% to a right. business manager, which is kind of often the going rate. It's a lot of money. You know, mm -hmm. it's more money than I made splitting the remainder of the money 10 ways. So right. you don't want to kind of pay that sort of thing out. So it's a – Straight No Chasers are a really interesting group as far as how they run their business because it's guys that had real jobs before and sort of have a different appreciation for what we got to do, what the shows that we get to do and <clears> what <throat> the work is like and what you're doing as opposed to – you know, Steve Morgan, who had an MBA and worked in a bank. First, he was on Broadway. Then he got an MBA and he worked in a bank. And then, then he went back to Straight No Chaser. And he, you know, has a lot of perspective on what he wants to do. And, and so he, he looks at things maybe a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. So you guys, the, the living you're making is a middle class living. You're not. Uh, yeah, I love that. It's, it's not Kardashian money. You know, it's. You oh, know, I mean, it's almost. We do the same amount of plastic surgery. But other than that, right. no, it's not the same. Well, I can tell. I mean, the way you look now, I mean, you're 110 years old, but you look. <laughs> but my duck, my duck yeah. face is still killing right. it, right? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah, I love, I love the idea of the middle class of musicians. And it's something I wish I, I have really enjoyed this conference. Uh, it's the fourth day of it now. Um, but I think sometimes those people get left out. I feel like sometimes we were talking, uh, I was just in a session with uh, some agents from CAA, um, you know, and they're a big deal. They, it was guys that represent 21 Pilots, but then it was like, well, what do you think about, and then they rattle off bands that nobody's ever heard of. Mm -hmm. And to me, what I think is really important for the music industry to kind of work on right now is, like nobody feels bad for Beyonce or for mm -hmm. Ed Sheeran and their, you know, lack of income from recordings, because they're rich, you know right. what I mean? They're super rich, or Adele, or you know, kind of these, you know, Bruno, like these other people that are, that are crushing it. But I think what we might be losing is that middle class, we need to find ways to kind of lift them up a little bit. This sounds like just a political discussion generally, right? We need to, you know, we need to increase that middle class so that we can have more people that are able to make a living while making music, not necessarily getting rich, but being able to make a living. Well, I, I don't think people understand that there is a middle. Everybody looks at Beyonce and that's right. what they want. They don't realize you can make seventy-five, a hundred thousand a year and and live and live right. and survive. You know, and it's like that's your job as opposed to teaching or you're working right. at a bank. You know, I'm a singer in this band and right. it's like it's almost like my nine to five, right? Different yeah. hours, but that's the revenue I'm making. Right, and and if you were a freelancer, you had to be in the metropolitan area right I mean, you could be only a musician in new york la chicago nashville vegas but after that there's just not enough work right unless you were going to go on the road and be a backup to somebody and get a middle class living you know so it's still very difficult mm -hmm. even um we may not feel it as much because there's so many places to play in the metropolitan new york area if you take tri-state right. and and go on, you know, you can be home that night, actually. But I lived in Syracuse for 21 years, you know, and I think there was one guy that was a concert master with the symphony that did only that. Everybody else had to do something else, right? you know. So you, we may be a little warped about it, but, it, but it, it would be great. I mean, you know, if there was just a way that you could be a person that's, a, you know, I was a vice president of the union <clears throat> at Syracuse. You know, 99 point, what's the ivory commercial? 99.4. percent right? Pure. Do, <laughs> do something besides play music that were right. union members. 99 plus percent. Most of them taught lessons, you know, but, but it wasn't the Teamsters or, you know, pipe fitters or something. That's what they did. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's always been a struggle. Mm -hmm. 
So the revenue streams for a group like Straight Note Chaser, because you and I were talking yesterday about you have Pentatonics, you know, the, this sort of the super niche um, where, where that band, that group, uh, Straight Note Chaser fits. You know, you're right. big in that genre of acapella uh, groups. Um, so the revenue is you get something from recording because you're not selling a lot. I'm guessing you can correct me. I'm assuming you're not selling a whole lot of physical stuff. You're still selling some. I'm sure it shows. Um, streaming, you're getting not much, I would assume, and you can correct me there too. And then we can get into the DMCA and, and value right. gaps in YouTube. Um, my guess would be live shows is where you're getting most of your stuff. What about sync deals and things like that? Are you getting any of that? And not really. I mean, you know, the problem with sync deals is uh, straight no chaser. It's a it's, it's unusual position to be in. Are we the most successful cover band in the country? Maybe. You know right. what I mean? Yeah. Like, there's a couple other actually really cool cover bands that you know sort of some of the streaming services you get to hear, you know, that are, that are right. pretty neat. But, but yeah, because we played covers, if you wanted to, if, and the other thing about it is in the acapella world, you know, if you know Deke Sharon, who's kind of the godfather of acapella, like if you go to a guy like Deke or you go to some of these, um, some of the engineers out there that really specialize in acapella, if you want an acapella version of a famous song, they can put one together a lot cheaper than Straight No Chaser. Do you know what I mean? They can, mm. they can find some guys or mm -hmm. do it themselves and right. put together recording. So sync deals didn't often happen. Uh, we have a couple, basically, you know, a right. couple TV shows, those sorts of things. Uh, what we, about sound exchange? We got money, some money from sound exchange. That's right. a thing because that's, you know, those the, uh, the, the various streaming uh, companies that feed into sound exchange. That was something we got a little bit of money from. But I would say 95% of our money came from touring. Maybe it's only 90. I, you know, I could pull out a mm -hmm. really fantastic spreadsheet that has a lot. Uh, but uh -huh. I would say between at least 90% of our money came from touring. Uh, you know, and we sold two of our albums before I was on the, before I was there, have gone uh, gold now. The first mm -hmm. two al albums are both holiday albums, but mm -hmm. the, the disparity between the number of albums we sold and the number of tickets we sold is pretty remarkable. Because we would go out every year and sell 100,000 tickets. Mm -hmm. Probably sold that many albums. You know, that's not usually how it works, you mm -hmm. know. Uh, so, so we were able to sell a lot of tickets. Um, it's interesting what you said about kind of acapella as a genre, because also with Straight No Chaser, I think, sure, we had the hardcore acapella fans, you know, that are really, they listen to 15 different acapella groups. They love Pentatonix, they love Straight No Chaser, they love you know, Home Free, they love kind of all these, you know, different groups that are, that are out there, and then all the college groups too. But I think our, our pull was really more of a, a family, and sort of a like like a Rat Pack sort of show mm -hmm. feel. The people enjoyed coming to a show that wasn't just a concert. It was you know yeah, had to share sure. jokes and had it right. had a little bit of video element and mm -hmm. you know um, stuff like that. So we like I said, it was a, it's an unusual spot to be in. They they occupy Straight No Chaser occupies a, a fairly unique spot as far as a touring act. Did mm -hmm. they ever try to harvest their YouTube audience and sort of grow in that niche as sort of, you know, artists making careers out of that? I mean, it's it's a really good question, and um, I don't know if the guys in the band would appreciate me saying this, but I think we failed at that. We got our star because of a YouTube video, and to talk about Pentatonix, Pentatonix right. has taken over the world because of YouTube, and what yeah. they did was not have that great of videos, but have a lot of them. Right mm -hmm. and keep the you know keep their listeners engaged, and it has certainly I'm sure made them a bunch of money off YouTube because they have a lot of views. Even though YouTube, as we can talk about in a second, doesn't pay very much per view, but you know they've made some money I'm sure off of YouTube. But more importantly, it's grown their audience exponentially, and it's grown their audience in a younger demographic. A much younger set of fans go to Pentatonic shows than come to Straight No Chaser shows. For what that's worth, older people have more money and can pay more for tickets mm -hmm. a lot of times, but Pentatonix has 20,000 people coming to their shows sometimes, and Straight No Chaser has two, three, five, six. Mm -hmm. You know, So it's they have done a good job. We uh, were too precious about our YouTube videos. We wanted to make sure everything was always perfect and Maybe sometimes we were overly opinionated and you had too many uh, cooks in the kitchen. Uh, and instead of kind of getting things out once a month or you know, whatever the case may be to keep a more actively engaged channel, we were like, we want to make sure that this thing is awesome and is the best thing ever. And then it, you know, it would come out and it would be fine and it would be good, but it was, never, it was never 12 days. You know, it was never right. our first video that went viral and really blew, you know, blew people's minds. They were like, even though it's primitive, you know, it's just a, it's like a static shot of, it's not quite static, it's like a two camera shoot from 
1998. Like, video yeah. quality is not good. Yeah. So, yeah, I, in some ways, we, uh, Trade No Chase, we've, we've never quite done as well as we should at, at YouTube. But, you know, doing fine. So. I guess it has to do with more like the audience you were doing a cover stuff and, and it's Christmas oriented so maybe it's hard to transition that audience to more like an engaging thing it's just Christmas, Christmas versus not Christmas I mean you know again Pentatonix also sells more Christmas albums than they do non-Christmas albums they sold a lot more Christmas albums than they did in any case and Straight No Chaser is the same way I think probably by a factor of five you know we sell more way more albums and our tours were always October to the end of the year, every year, and then we would do another four or five weeks internationally, and we'd do another four or five weeks touring through the summer. Um, but we knew that Christmas time was still kind of our bread and butter. And did you get songs like played on the radio during those times too when you were touring? And Christmas, yeah. Christmas, we definitely did. We would have probably, and we did a song with Kristen Bell. I should have mentioned that too. That was probably our like third biggest song. Um, it was called "Text Me Merry Christmas," and she brought in uh, a good. You know, a good bit of buzz for it. Um, there was a fun song, kind of like a modern, you know, jokes about lack of interpersonal communication and instead just texting people things. Um, so we would get a lot of, a fair amount of Christmas music played on the terrestrial radio. Uh, and of course, big bumps in all of our streaming numbers on Spotify and Pandora, everything else. Our non holiday stuff, I don't think was ever on terrestrial radio to speak of. You know, maybe if we went in and did a radio show, they'd, they'd play a track or something like that, but not in any meaningful way, though some of it also had some, uh, some streaming presence. And you never tried to write your own songs, even a Christmas song? Ooh, or? good question. Uh, we've had a few. We actually had a single last year uh, that was written by Mike Luganbill uh, and Jesse Lee uh, that Jana Kramer sang on. Um, who's kind of a country artist here in uh, Nashville has had some success. So that was an original. We've had a couple other holiday originals. I managed to get one whole song written on a, uh, on a Straight No Chaser album, which is a non-holiday song. It's definitely the best song we ever recorded. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I had Mike sing that one. I might see I'm smart. I had Mike Luganville sing it instead of having myself sing it because um, he's the cute one. But, he, uh, but so we did do some originals. It was always a, I mean, there was always a fight within the band about whether or not we should be putting originals on, a fight with the label about whether we should, and, you know, differing opinions about do we want to do what has always worked or do we want to try to do something different. There have been acapella groups that, that write originals that try to, that have tried to, you know, make it, that have been signed to deals, that have, you know, released albums of originals, haven't gone anywhere. You know, I'm really interested to see what happens with Pentatonix because. They just had a Christmas album come out, but before that, they did an album of originals. And it sold really well at the outset, but I think it probably overall is a step back for them as far as fans, mm -hmm. as far as uh, you know, all the things that go along with it. Although they just had a guy quit too, because they always have to one-up us. They just had a guy, <laughs> and, and he cried in his goodbye video, yeah. and I didn't cry in mine. So like, I saw it their, totally their goodbye video last week yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, no, um, yeah Avi just quit uh, from Pentatonix. They're all, I, I mean that with only only love for them because they're they're good people and they're they are outstanding musicians and singers. But they just had a guy quit too, so who knows what kind of what's on the horizon for them as far as I don't think they can go on without a bass the way Straight No Chaser can go on without me. But who knows? We'll see what happens. <laughs> they can't go on without you. Somebody somebody wrote and they're like, "So are you taking over for Avi?" And I was like, "No, that's ridiculous." That would have <laughs> been funny. Or I, I've been telling people that Avi and I are starting a supergroup, but I don't <laughs> think that's true either. Well, going back to. Um, you, you've alluded a couple times to the fact there are 10 of you, and it sounds like you all have, and we've talked about the structure of the band, you all have ownership 10%. So there's no, I guess, one, and you could correct me, leader of the group, so you have 10 different voices. Because Aaron Van Dyne, who we mentioned earlier, was the business manager for Sharon Jones of the Dap Kings. That was 11 people yeah. who also were, were they like the all, company. Did they all split all, 11 each, ways? Yeah, a split 11 ways. Even though it was Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings was split right. equally 11 ways. Dave Matthews Band. Like, I think they split things equally yeah, too. Yeah. Socialist. Right, yeah. So it's almost like, how do you get things done? With the, you know? It's a really good question. And I tried really hard, and I tried to convince other people of this too, that not every decision can be made by 10 people. And it doesn't need to be made by 10 people. Right. And the example I always like to give is what we wore on stage. With limitations, I didn't really care. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? I didn't think I, they were gonna have me out there like you know, wearing board shorts and no shirt. So like, you know, mm -hmm. like I, I trusted and so I said, listen, these two guys that are really interested in this, make those decisions. I promise I won't complain. 
uh-huh. until I want to step up and start working on it. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Right. And we, you know, there were times and it was like, you know, some of the some of the core things of the business, which songs are going to end up on the album, yeah. you know, those sorts of things. Like those are hard discussions, like you say, to have with ten people, and it's sort of a thing where. You know, we, where some guys felt like if I arranged this song or I wrote this song or I, I ought to have more creative control over what ends up on the album, but guys in your band care just as much about what's on the album and may have as good an opinion or a better opinion about which of these songs is better than the people that arranged them. So, mm-hmm. you know, those are the conversations that were hard to, hard to take. And frankly... Part of the reason why I left the band is because you find yourself on one end, and not like we got in a fight about anything, but you have to recognize that some guys in the band, and maybe it's because they don't have kids or they don't, you know, whatever their situation is in life, will never say no to anything, right? And so we would talk about, you know, if we're going to go back to Australia for two weeks, which everybody likes going to Australia, it's pretty cool, but it's really far, and I kind of wanted to be home with my kids. and. Mm are we going to go back? And I know that some of the guys are going to be like, absolutely, we, you know, like we need to grow that market, blah, 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 whatever the case may be, that they're always going to want to do things. And I know that I'm sometimes not. And I'm going to lose that vote. And that's fine. That's fair. Right. But maybe that's, you know, maybe you got to at some point do what's right for you. So, yeah, I mean, like you said, managing a band with 10 guys is is can be a real challenge in a lot of different ways. And sometimes you have to just give up control over things. Mm-hmm. Um, I heard somebody, um, a, a concept I really appreciate is the idea of disagree and commit, right? That um, you might not think it's the best idea, but if you're in a band, you better try your hardest. Whatever to, the decision whatever is. Whatever the decision right. is. You know, you're yeah. not going to go on stage. You're not going to release an album and, and you know, half-ass it, basically. You know, you're not right. going to go on stage and be like, well, I don't really, I don't think we should be doing this song, so I'm not going to do my best at it. That's a really awful way to run a band, you know, to be in a band. So, um, and that's, you know, it's kind of what you had to do a lot of, sometimes. I shouldn't say a lot of the time. Like, I, I never went on stage and was embarrassed or thought, like, this is the worst decision we've ever made. I might have thought, instead of this song, maybe we should be doing this song, you know. Some little differences. So if there's a, a discussion about let's go to Australia and the vote is six to four, then you're going to Australia, yeah, right? something like that, yeah. Okay. And the four of you guys who don't want to go. You so, suck it up. But, yeah. There you go. But, uh, but, but, what, but if, you, what if somebody says, no, I'm not going? Right. Right? You're in a band. Like, to me, I, unless you have a really, uh, you can't run a band this way. You know, I, I had another uh, friend of ours kind of write me to talk about band formation. And I told him, I was like, look, the only thing you can do is kick them out. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, if somebody says, like, I'm not going to do this show because of this reason that I think is totally an insufficient reason to, meet a show, to miss a show, I can't dock his pay. Like, we have a contract that says I have to, you know what I mean? And we might reach an agreement that we're not, we're not going to pay you for this show that you're not showing up for. And, and I don't think anybody would, you know, any person in that situation would disagree. But at the end of the day, there's no, like, punishment, right? You can't demote them. You can't, and you can't take away a solo of theirs or something like that because that's bad for the show. That's bad right. for the fans. That's bad for all of us, frankly. If he had a solo, it's because he was good at the solo, not because it was a, a gift to him. So right. at the end of the day, all you can do is kick somebody out. So it is, I mean, it's a tough spot to be in. And, it, it, you know, as with any band, it'll be interesting going forward to see kind of how, how the guys all deal with those situations. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there a band agreement that, that states how we can kick out a, there is, a guy, yeah. how, uh, you know, who owns the band, like who owns the band name? You yeah. know, if you guys break up tomorrow. It's like feats uh-huh. of strength, you know, uh-huh. for kicking people out of the out of the band. It's a, there's a wrestling match and then there's like, <laughs> right. um, no, it's all part of, it's all part I of the agreement. Right. Yeah, exactly. Ooh. <laughs> Oof. Yeah, right. It's yeah, exactly a duration competition for singing. Um, yeah, there's that's all part of the agreement. And maybe uh, I can't imagine very many bands think about that at the outset. But, you know, unfortunately, the time to think about it is at the outset, because when the decision comes that everybody's leverage is different, everybody thinks different things and you want things to be a certain way for your particular responsibility. If you look at it at the outset, you can look at it as far as what's going to be fair. Right. Yeah. yeah. We always preach that. Yeah, well, Eric. We, it, we preach it as teaching. Yeah, it's Get hard. That agreement in in the beginning. Right. You know, while you're still friends. Yeah. Right. Cool. Right. And and you yeah. can't imagine stabbing each other in the back. Once yeah. once it's happened, right. then you want to know how it's gonna how it's yeah. gonna shake out. Because right. you never know which guy's gonna become the drug addict or or get. Well, it was me. Or, it was me. That was me. Well, it's totally. You. I mean, you're using right now. We were all drug. I've actually got an. A, 
that syringe in my vein as yeah. we speak. <laughs> right, yeah. You should really clean that needle. Yeah, yeah. well, you know, at this point. <laughs> yeah, give it, give it back to Dave. Yeah, no, it's very true. It's very true. We would say, I would say years ago, and it's funny now, you know, because I'm the guy that quit. Five years ago, I definitely remember telling people, like, five years from now, the guys in straight notation will not be the same 10 guys. Yeah. I don't know which 10 it will be. I don't know who right. will still be here and here won't, but I'm sure someone will have, turns out it was me. You know what I mean? Like, it wasn't, I remember having those conversations, but it's like you said, you don't know at the outset how things are going to go in people's lives. Right. So you did leave. Why did you leave? Well, as we talked about, we were kind of the middle class, you know, right. and we, we got, I, I can't say enough how thankful I am to have gotten to do the things I've gotten to do. We sold out the Ryman Auditorium four times. I got to sing Rocky Top there. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? That's awesome, right? Like, not very many people get to do that, and that's just on a, on a long list. You know, I'm on a track with Stevie Wonder, like, what, you know, who's complaining? But <laughs> at the same time, we were not, not to, you know, I don't know if this is like breaking fans' hearts or anything, but we weren't making enough money for me to retire. Right. Like next year or in five years or probably before I'm too old to do it anymore. You know what I mean? Like at some mm -hmm. point, I mean, I look good now, but like in 10 years, <laughs> fans might not want to come see us anymore. So um, I, I think that's kind of what I was looking at things. I also, I'm, I'm interested in a lot of things. Um, it's funny being at this conference. I think of my story as being so unique, you know, like mm -hmm. I was a musician. It's crazy. I was a professional musician, and now I'm going to quit that and try to find, a, you know, a job in this. And it's, it sort of feels like there's a lot of people that have a, an almost similar story. I was like, oh, man, I'm just another run-of-the-mill washed-up singer, you know, like trying to. <laughs> so, um, but, but for me, there's a lot of other things I'm interested in. And when you have, I mean, this is what everybody says, right? When you have a wife and kids, when you have a family, being home on a Tuesday in September is not the same as being home on a Saturday in November when your kid has a soccer game, right? It's, it's, there's a difference there, and, and sometimes the musician schedule doesn't work um, with, the rest, with the rest of the world. Sometimes. sometimes. <laughs> yeah. It works. And the number of weddings, best friends, and so on. Exactly. Nothing. And kids', Cousins, kids birthdays and anniversaries and all those you know, things. I was, is, I was on the road. I was 22 to whatever I was, but all my cousins were too. Right. No, no. They're getting married and they're having kids. No, and, you know, and so what? So was I. You know, I was married yeah. and I had kids and then you miss out on those things. And, um, you know, I heard Kelly Clarkson speak. And I've, I don't have anything bad to say about Kelly Clarkson. She seemed genuinely like mm -hmm. the nicest person in the world. And she's a fantastic singer. I love her. She's great. But she's, you know, they said something about how for her, like, family always comes first. And so that's why she'll plan, you know, when she has a tour starting, she'll plan a little vacation with her husband and the kids for a couple days before and she makes sure that she gets to spend those time with the kids and I'm like well must be nice you know what I mean the thing is you're Kelly Clarkson like it's really easy to put family first you know it's not I shouldn't say that that's not fair to say it's really easy but it's a lot easier for her than it is for that middle class of musicians her demands will be met right you know I mean when you make it that much money the record company is all over you and this is great because we have so many students that we teach who assume that you're probably fine for life. You were signed so to a funny. deal. You were playing yeah. all over the world. Me too. That guy's fine. He could retire tomorrow. And again, getting back to the whole did middle you, class. Had you set up a 401? We did, yeah, yeah a few years too. ago. So, yeah. but you know, I mean, it's you know three or four years worth of 401k. I'm, I'm not right. quite 59 and a half yet. You know, yeah. I can't start tapping into it yet. So, what about health insurance and things like that? Where was that being well, I mean, covered through the S corp or what? No, I mean, you, we lived in different states. Uh, it, when you're signed to a record label, you do have the advantage of being a member of uh, SAG-AFTRA, the union for yeah, the Screen Actors Guild, the union, and the right, right. and the musicians uh, union merged. And as a as a label artist, although this just changed, uh, as a label artist, you're entitled to no matter how much uh, covered earnings you have, they call it. You know, it's money you make from your recording deal. No matter what your covered earnings are, you still get individual insurance. Individual insurance yes. guaranteed. Not family, Not family insurance right. guaranteed. So right. there was a year when I paid $17,000 in health sure. insurance. You right. know what I mean? Now my wife works full time. Another reason why it's important to be home. But my wife works full time. And luckily for the last three years, you know, she's been buying the health insurance right. uh, as a teacher uh, where we live out on Long Island. So, no, I mean, that's another exactly a complicated thing that, you know, mm -hmm. um, does, doesn't always work out. Yeah. I was going somewhere with that. I mean, I was going to say, you yeah. also said something about um, some fans think you're super rich. And we used to get that. We did a signing line after all of our shows, you know, kind of part of the um, 
genuine, but also we knew what we were doing, you know, uh, uh, draw of straight no chasers that were kind of like regular guys that seem very much like the person that could live next door to you and we can sing okay, but like we're fun and nice. And so we did a signing line after every, after every show. We met with the fans and we'd take pictures with whoever wanted. And inevitably, like there were people that came through that, like you said, just thought we were like super rich, just mm -hmm. billionaires. And then right after them was a person who'd be like, so what do you do in your day job? You know what I mean? I'm, like, I'm on tour for two and a half months. What do you mean day job? <laughs> right, like, right. you know, so it was really funny. And people just don't realize, um, and I'm sure people listening to this podcast probably do. People, your students probably know, but, though, you know, the way the music business works is if I go out on tour, 15% goes to my manager, 10% goes to my agent. If you have a 360 deal, probably 10% goes back to your record label. So you're down to 65%. Then you pay all your expenses. You pay your... Your, your sound guy, you pay your lighting guy, you pay your tour manager. If, if Straight No Chaser, we're, we were out with five. You pay your merch guy, you pay your monitor slash carp, whatever you've, whatever you've got out on the road with you. You pay your bus drivers, you pay your lodging, you pay all the things that make the tour happen. You pay that. Mm -hmm. After you pay your commissions, then you split it 10 ways. Whatever is left. Mm -hmm. Yeah, then you, well, you have to pay taxes. Some of it, but you have to pay right. off the top line too. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? So you pay your corporate taxes, then you split it up 10 ways, then you pay your personal income taxes. Right. So those numbers start to get chopped down pretty fast. If you look at a show where, you know, you think, count the number of tickets and how much they cost, and you're like, wow, you know, this show brought in 100 grand. Like there's a lot of, yeah. there's a lot of hands in the pot for that 100 grand. So how much in a year can someone, I want to say someone like you round about in a group like that? You don't have to tell us exactly what you made last year. Yeah. Can, when we're talking middle class, how much is one of these people round about making? I mean, I, I think to talk about middle class, it's, it's probably, I, and I, I'd say this neither to sound full of myself nor to sound ungrateful, but I, I think Straight No Chasers probably higher their upper middle class, maybe. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because we did make a good living, but you look out we played some decent sized rooms, you know, in Chicago, we played two shows at the Lyric Opera, it's like 3,500 seats, yeah, two shows in the same day. We played the Mohegan Sun, which is like 6,000 seats, something like that. You know, we played some pretty decent sized venues. Um, I love the Ryman, but it's only like 1,600 seats. It's not, the, it's not anywhere close to the biggest place right. we played. So we might be a little bit more in the, you know, the upper level. Um, and if, you know, like I said, if you do the math, you're gonna figure out pretty quickly that our gross got into the millions you know, right. if you, if like I said, if you count a hundred thousand tickets and you know call, call it a hundred dollars a ticket or fifty dollars a ticket, you could, like I said, you can do the math to figure out how much money we brought in, you know, and that comes down to a lot less than a million a guy, you know, like in mm -hmm. six figures for a, a band that toured five months out of the year every single year, doing eight shows a week, some weeks in December, doing seven shows a week, you know, or six shows a week the rest of the time. So we were doing everything we could to make hay while the sun shined. Yeah. Shined? That's not, that's not how it goes. Shone? Shone? It doesn't right. rhyme right any, I don't know. <laughs> were you always a headliner? Almost always. Really? We, we did a split bill with Weird Al Yankovic at the Hollywood Bowl this last yeah. summer. We opened for Barry Manilow. Like I said, we, are, we shared management with him at the beginning. We opened for him at the O2, in, uh, the O2 Arena in, in London. London. Um, trying to think they're doing a split bill now with postmodern jukebox if you guys know mm -hmm. them yeah. kind of uh they do take modern songs and and turn them into kind of like you know 20 swing kind of feel mm -hmm. they have a real strong uh, online following um so they're they're doing a split bill this summer with them at some kind of bigger room some uh amphitheaters they're playing what's the one? Oh, you guys aren't from nashville the one that just down the street ascend i think amphitheater in nashville playing red yeah, rocks the, and, uh, the, is that what it's the called other one right yeah there. so kind of those room. like more like six, eight, 10,000 seat uh, amphitheaters, yeah. as opposed to you know what we would probably do over the summer, which would be more like 2,000 seat mm -hmm. theater or something mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. So almost always the headliners um, with a couple of, of minor exceptions. Mm -hmm. And you were getting generally a guarantee and a profit split or? Yeah, um, uh, most of our, you know, a, a lot of shows were just straight guarantees, uh -huh. um, especially if you play, if we play Mohegan Sun, they don't yeah. sell enough tickets to right. cover what they pay their artists because they give so many away. Right. Um, so and it's because it's promotional for them. They so a lot of not have you at the concert. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not right. right. Well, yeah. well, we did ten weeks in Atlantic City too, and they were very yeah. specific about how long you would play. You know I what know. I mean? Because <laughs> yeah. it's yeah. they're like forty-five minute sets. We did longer than that. We did. Um, I think we did seventy-five, but it was okay. one set. That was it. 
mm-hmm. and like they were like one encore and it was like not the sort of encore where you could let the crowd cheer for a minute you know what I mean like it was oh, like no. it was like you walk off stage you come back on stage uh-huh. and do your single encore you know like yeah. it's fine like it's I get it uh, but for most of our shows yeah especially by the end it was a guarantee and then you'd get your 85-15 once you reach the break-even point mm-hmm. that's probably people may not understand what that means a promoter is going to break even at a certain number of seats because they've got to pay their expenses and they have to pay the uh, the band their guarantee. Once you get above that, the overage, the, the overage, yeah, exactly. Yeah. We always wanted to get into overage. It means you sold a lot of tickets. It means you might make more money. But it also meant that you were filling up the room. Um, but yeah, then you would do a split with the promoter kind of on the gravy money after that. And generally, you guys would get 85 and he would get 50. That's, I, think, I don't know if I want to say generally, but that's, that's probably the, the most, of, most of what that would be. Mm-hmm. I, a lot of shows were straight guarantees. Because again, also if you play performing arts centers, um, which, you know, Straight No Chaser was mostly a theater act, mm-hmm. meaning we didn't play clubs, we played theaters because it, right. it worked better for us. So we played a number of performing arts centers. And again, they get like grant money a lot of times. So again, right. their ticket sales may not necessarily cover. So they can't say, we'll give you 85 15 because they're never breaking even on your show because someone's sponsoring it. Right. So you guys didn't do the festival circuit? Not very often. By choice? Um, or were or not it wouldn't be a fit I don't think we had a lot of demand to do festivals mm-hmm. we wanted to do um, and we'll see what happens next summer I think the guys are planning to try to get there again like European festivals that are more like jazz or more like things mm-hmm. like that but like ah, we're not going to work at Bonnaroo you know what I mean like we're not going to and the other thing about those festivals they don't pay very well either you know what I mean you got to go out there and, and it's it can be a, a tough show to sell to the band Mm-hmm. Because if you're successful, you know what I mean. Right. If you're if you're trying to build an audience, it can be really really useful, and maybe you can make a little bit of money. But it may not be useful to a band that already has a certain level of success mm-hmm. and a cultivated fan base. I think Joe and I have a question. But, so um, uh, no. I will go first. <laughs> uh, it seems that we have um, Peter McGinnis is on our faculty use a jazz arrangement. They call themselves the Royal Bobsters. Yes, brand new offshoot of uh, New York Voices. The oh, New York Voices okay. and so on. And it seems that the acapella people, and I know Rockapella and, and so on, they want to separate themselves from the jazz. You know what I mean? You don't call yourselves at all. Right. But Straight No Chasers, are, of course, of jazz too and so Wait, on. Wait, what? So <laughs> consequently, it's interesting and you really don't want to be a part of that jazz thing. Because they don't make any money. I, was, I wasn't going to say that well, out I mean, loud, New York Dolls, just because he's built such a, you know, uh, a tremendous number of years where he kept going back and back, and just like Manhattan Transfer. Manhattan Transfer. Right? They're playing so in New York on. right now. But mm-hmm. that's all, that's different from the acapella. Well, because acapella's blown up. You want to be attached to it. You want to talk about pitch perfect. Well, yeah, but that's what I'm saying. You yeah. don't want to talk about, you know, yeah, Java I mean, Jive or Birdland. You, you want to talk, right? Well, I, you know, I could you know, talk about pentatonics. Like, a promoter, I could see a big club owner and say, "Oh, straight no chase. Yeah, we probably should jazz group. Gotta be a jazz group. Probably should. I'm in." Yeah, you know, and you, you guys sort of want to not be over there because they're not paying the bills at all. You know, right. and uh, I've been to rock. My ex-wife was in a, a female group out of Jersey, and I had been to Rock and Palace several times. They opened up for them and so on, and they. Decent sized audience, you know, yeah. and it's the same thing. It's the, the gags, the, the comedy, right. you know, and so on, and so on and so forth. It's interesting that that it isn't, you know, that it's almost a conscious attempt to stay away from that four-letter word, you know. <laughs> and mm-hmm. well, we've heard it three or four times here, either in the interviews or out there. I can't remember, but like, of course, you know, jazz, jazz doesn't pay. We don't want to be associated with. Oh, the it. festival guy from, from Summerfest. Yeah. Well, uh, when I talk about I'm jazz wondering. festivals, what's happened with them is they're not jazz anymore. No. You know no, what I mean? New Orleans. In New Orleans, jazz. Orleans, like, you're like, Newport, what is yeah. this thing called yeah, again? Right. Yeah. You know, yeah, exactly. like. Well, Newport did that on the way it's out, too, you know. The, right. In New York, it wasn't very little jazz, you know. It's a shame, but it's the I, truth. Ours is not, we're not, it's not what we sang. You know yeah, what I mean? Right. And it's 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 not kind of who we were. Yeah. Uh, See, like the boxes have, they all take uh, scat solos and yeah. on every tune. You know, right. And yeah, so yeah. On. It's not something that the well, again, it goes know. back to the whole niche thing we were talking yeah. about. It, it's so there's the say the niche of acapella, right. and you have different levels, and that's yeah a smaller sub niche of this niche. Yeah. You know, the, on the jazz side, ex- aside from the 
like the Manhattan Transfer, which is the pop version of the jazz thing, yeah. I guess. You know, they're not straight jazz. They're sort of popified, yeah. I guess. Uh, I, it's always interesting to me to think about acapella as a genre. And I think that's mm-hmm. you've kind of hit the nail on the head with that about, like, you know, like I was talking about Take Six a second ago. You know, yeah, Take yeah, Six yeah, doesn't yeah. sound anything like Straight No Chaser. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Maybe a little bit, you know, but I mean, in, and then there's Manhattan Transfer. There's, you know, Rockapella doesn't sound that different from Straight No Chaser. You know what I mean? Yeah, you know, yeah, Pentatonix doesn't that. sound that different from Straight No Chaser. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, a little you're bit. In but, the, you're in that. Vein. But when you look at, but when you look at acapella, and it, it's just funny to me to, th- and, you know, Pentatonix sings only songs that have come out in the last, you know, since they've, well, they're all like babies, you know, like since mm-hmm. they've been conscious of sort of the pop world. And, you know, Straight Out Chaser sings songs from the 60s mm-hmm. frequently, you know, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so it's, it's always, I mean, there's no doubt when you, if you go on Spotify or if you go on Pandora, and I assume it's because that's what their numbers have shown them people want, not that they're pushing people towards it, but that, you know, people who listen to Straight Out Chaser also listen to, the whiff and poofs you know or some mm-hmm. college acapella group mm-hmm. which is like a whole different thing really so yeah. it's it's yeah. it's just such an odd it is a very odd sort of lane or uh it, it's genre is just not the right word for it you know what i mean it's sort of like saying like oh you have guitars in your band therefore you are well hang on you yeah, know yeah, <laughs> like yeah. are you chet atkins are you you know yeah, yeah. are you les paul are you foo fighters you know yeah. like so it could be a lot of different things we keep talking about this uh, middle class of musicians. What do you think is a good way to support that and like propel towards the future in this industry? Do you think it's something, I heard you talking on the panel earlier the week about the uh, Digital Millennium Copyright Act. Um, do you think that needs to be reexamined in a way that changes what streaming is viewed as? Or? The, the good news that I, and I talked about this in the panel is I think uh, that so YouTube pays a lot less for streams than uh, Pandora, Spotify, everybody else does. They work on a different model where they pay a percentage of ad revenue, but right. the, the knock from the recording industry uh, and the RIAA and, you know, have, have spoken out very strongly about this is because the DMCA will keep YouTube from getting in any trouble when people post unauthorized versions of songs they commit copyright infringement on YouTube YouTube doesn't get in any trouble for that and so the record labels say we can't negotiate with YouTube because YouTube goes they don't say this out loud no one has accused this of saying this but everyone at the table knows if Taylor Swift doesn't want to put her songs on YouTube you can still go to YouTube and find every Taylor Swift song and she just won't be getting paid for it and so they kind of have all the leverage in that situation. As opposed to Spotify, where there's nothing user uploaded. Pandora, there's nothing user uploaded. Uh, right. Apple Music, you know, right. Tidal, whatever. None of those things are user uploaded, so they don't have that advantage that YouTube does. So that's what we were talking about. And that's because of this act called the DMCA, the Digital Millennium Copyright Act. Right. It was passed, it was written 20 plus years ago at this point. I, the good news is Spotify and Apple Music and Tidal are making a lot more money. That streaming is now more than half of the income mm-hmm. in the, both in the U.S. and in the world, the income to the entire recorded music industry. So maybe they're gonna maybe they're gonna start mattering more than YouTube. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, Joe's young. Maybe he listens to music on YouTube. I don't get it. You know, I, I don't understand. Is used listening to YouTube the way you listen to the radio? But apparently, that's a thing that people that's do. That's the biggest thing, which is crazy. It, YouTube is still the number one yeah. source of, of, of music. Yeah, yeah. listening. It is really. I mean, um, but. YouTube would say that isn't that great that we're providing this for people, right? Because they're not going to spend $10 a month on Spotify or Apple Music. So instead of having your music listened to by nobody and getting $0, YouTube is getting people to listen to your music and paying you a tenth of a cent. You know, is what they're right. in effect paying out to you. You know, even if you're Taylor Swift, you're getting a tenth of a cent for each for each view. So I think the good news, I think, is that we have enough technologists and we have so many people. This intersection of tech and music is kind of where it's at right now, you know, as far as figuring out ways uh, and hopefully fair ways to to get artists paid for their recorded music, uh, given the tanking of the music industry over the last two decades. Was was that the act that uh, put a, um, a tax on blank? No, no, that's that was the Audio Home Recording Act. That's right, 1992. Yeah, yeah, that was a little earlier. That so yeah, when you when you sell a blank CD, a little bit of that money goes to 
I usually go back to the RIAA. Actually, goes some, to, they have a fund. They have a, a pool. Yeah. yeah. But then yeah. gets split up. Yeah. Yeah. Which is not a, but the, the multiple problems with trying to reform the DMCA. One, Congress doesn't move very quickly or sometimes well or in a useful mm-hmm. manner at all. And trying to have them keep up with technology is totally a tough thing to believe that they're going to get right. Mm-hmm. The other problem for the music industry is you want to send your lobbyists up against Google's lobbyists. Mm-hmm. Who wins that fight? It's not it's not 1998 anymore where the Hollywood lobby, and that's who really pushed the DMCA because they were more concerned about movies, uh, but who really pushed the DMCA um, that was Hollywood, more than more, even more than the music industry. And uh, yeah, I think Google has some lobbyists, is my understanding. <laughs> I think they have lawyers. I think they have at least one of almost everything. <laughs> right. yeah. Well, we need to wrap this up. Okay, then. Oh, man. The time, is, uh, the time has come for us to no longer talk. Yeah. So, which is difficult for some of us. So, uh, <laughs> we should thank Don Nottingham. Yeah. I was going to say of Straight No Chaser, but this some guy. Don yeah, Nottingham. Some guy. This dude, Don Nottingham. Yeah. yeah, we appreciate this. This has really been cool. This it has. Really it's been great. I really mean, appreciate it. I'm excited that you guys, these programs exist. You know, and I think it's really important for musicians and people who want to work in the music industry to have we've been here for four days i already knew a lot and i've learned a lot and it's important that there's if you want to have a middle class musicians if you want more music people have to understand how to how the music industry mm-hmm. is going to work so that you can also play music that you can play music and also you know eat and pay your rent yeah. well i think that that was the biggest takeaway of this is that whole right. middle class of these yeah. which we don't talk about enough that yeah. is there can be there and that would be the first place to strive before you want to be Beyonce you know I mean so I know I want to be Beyonce yeah. I would Everybody like to be does. Beyonce because I just love the outfits and uh, Joe Pomerico thank you for being yeah. here thank you for your thing Marconi didn't clap for you so there's a there's an issue uh on Marconi I will clap for you no matter what well, so Dr. Esteban very much and of course my co-host yes that would be I <laughs> ah where'd that be me that would be yep me I'm your professor, David Kirkville. It does not matter the grammar, as long as you know that you're listening to Music Biz 101 and more, Brave New Radio 8.7. Make sure you're listening to this podcast, SoundCloud, and iTunes. We want to thank you. At the end of every show, we do not say hello. That would be silly because it's the end of the show. So at the end of every show, and you can say this for, you're going to harmonize with me in a second. We're going to say adios at the end of the show. Okay. I'm going to hit a note, then you're going to harmonize with me. Okay. And then we'll pay you a residual. Ready? (laughs) Adios! I have phlegm in my throat, so I went off. All right. Thank you, audio. I can't remember when you looked at me and cried, said something broke inside of you. My best friend. Whatever come my way, you know I'm yours until the end. When I finally go away, you're gonna look for me one day. When you let Don't have to remind you Cause you
So 